think my husband told me last year, no, nope, it was the year before last. He said, you know, you're controlling. And it wasn't in a, like a negative, like, you're controlling kind of way. It's like, you're, you're just controlling. And I thought about it. Hmm. I thought about it. I was like, am I controlling? Like, I don't try to. But I am. And I didn't take offense to it. And you know, I have grown and I have let go of so much just by that one little comment because I didn't take offense to it because mm-hmm. I wasn't like, I'm not controlling. I'm not, you know. Yeah. I have. <laughs> It has been freeing for me. I thanked him. I said, thank you. He's like, for what? And I was like, thank you for saying that I was controlling. Because it let me let go of a lot of different things. You know, like, yes. you know, um, running the household. Oh, I felt like this has to be this way. This has to be that way. And everybody benefited from it. But I didn't realize that it was a controlling behavior. And letting that go, oh, my goodness. I'm like, oh, now when people ask me questions, I'm like, oh, I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> Hey y'all, welcome back to Boundaries and Grace. My name is Taylor Chandler. I'm your host. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, but this is not therapy, okay? This is not therapy. This is a podcast. And today on the podcast, my guest is Robin Menifee. Robin Menifee is a colleague and a friend. I think she's hilarious. I just always I just always love talking to Robin. Love being around Robin. And this episode was just delightful. She makes healing sound fun. She's a licensed professional counselor in Georgia, helping us to understand the importance of self-awareness, ooh, confidence, ooh, and doing something about your emotional ailments. She she has this thing that she calls the, the a medicine cabinet, like a medicine cabinet for your mental health. And she's got a lot in there for you. We're not talking about prescriptions, okay? Maybe let me be more specific. Lifestyle medicine, lifestyle medicine, because Robin does mind body therapy, y'all. She's going to talk to talk about that um, a bit. Um, but of course, you can read about that on her site, which she's going to tell you about um, in the episode and everything, of course. Well, I really enjoyed this episode and I think you will, too. See you in the middle. See you at the end. OK, can you please introduce yourself to everyone? Yes, my name is Robin Menifee. Um, You want me to tell you about what I do and all of that good stuff? Yeah, give us a little bit. Perfect. Um, my name is Robin. I am a licensed professional counselor um, here in the Atlanta area, I like to say. I know there's a song out there that talks about people saying they're from Atlanta and they're not really from Atlanta, <laughs> but we're going to say the Atlanta area. Um, I am a registered, I'm right outside Atlanta. I'm a registered uh, yoga instructor and yeah i heard about this atlanta thing there's a there's i didn't i don't think i knew there was a song there was something happening recently (laughs) yeah so i i saw the post about whatever the you know the residual was from the song i didn't know that there was a song until the other day someone told me oh yeah there's a song about being from atlanta i was like oh is that what the posts are about and so I still haven't heard the song, but someone, some rapper, female rapper made a song about people that say they're from Atlanta when they're really from College Park or whatever, uh-huh. whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, because it was the conversation that was being had. I just was like, mm-hmm. I can't. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing this. But I saw that there were, there was a lot, of, there were a lot of feelings about it, I think. Like, it was a thing. Yeah. Like, and Listen, I always introduce myself as I'm from Atlanta or I'm right outside Atlanta because it's 
ridiculous not to. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> are, are, we, are we doing, are we competing with New York? Right, 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 exactly. Okay, so there's that. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play and therapy happens. So, Robin, you have your own practice. Can you tell us about um, what kind of population you work, you especially like to work with? Might not be like all the people, but what do you really like? So, I I jokingly say I just root for everyone black, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of serious too, right? Mm-hmm. So my practice is made up of um, 99% of people of color. Mm-hmm. And I've chosen that population because that is the one that um, I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. Before it was, I just want to help everyone. And that's true. I still want to help everyone. I, it doesn't mean just because I don't choose that population to work with that I won't work with them. I still have um, non-people of color mm-hmm. on my caseload. However, um, yeah, I, I specifically love working with um, people of color, mostly women, mostly women battling co-occurring disorders, um, including like depression, uh, grief, esteem, let, uh, I always be careful when I say low self-esteem, I would rather say esteem issues, okay. um, relational issues, addictions, all of those good things that uh, we, we get up and we battle every day in this world, passed down, down from generation to generation. Mm, this is really good. I'm glad that you're here because um, sometimes, I, well, it's no secret, I think. Well, it's no secret for people of color, um, and I think it's just becoming a wider uh, known truth that there is such a disparity in the resources that are available. There's a huge um, disparity in the um, number of people who identify as a person of color who are also licensed mental health professionals. And we also know that with that, um, well, not necessarily with that, but related to that, that people um, like to be in this kind of work with someone they can identify with. Um, That can happen in a lot of different ways. Like my practice is actually super uh, diverse so the identi- oh. but so that but the identification but it doesn't change the fact that the reason why um the connections happen is because there's an identification there like and in in my mm-hmm. and, and so my practice is, it's like more it's like attachment it's so it's a lot of people that relate to that issue but mm-hmm. it's still Absolutely. the same principle that people mm-hmm. like to have people that they identify with and i think because there's um that black people um mm-hmm. have you know, I think the, the phrase that's coming to my mind is showing up late to the party, but it's like you, if you didn't know mm-hmm. that the party was happening, do, oh my I mean, God. could we really say that you're showing up late or did you show up when absolutely. you could? <laughs> like you showed up when you got the invitation absolutely. to the mental health party. And I think um, what I'm getting, what I'm saying is that I think one of the, like the quick identifiers is race. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. anyone who kind of says like, oh, I don't see race. Well, you do, which is why most people are <laughs> like, you know, you, it's the people around you are often the same mm-hmm. race as you and things like that. So we do see it. You might not be something mm-hmm. that you necessarily place a certain conscious value on Big or time. meaning on, but we all see it. Mm-hmm. And I think that with um, people of color, black people um, in particular, mm-hmm. the quick identifier is race and and sometimes there's not even a recognition that there's something to identify with outside of race. And so mm-hmm. for you, 
this all came from me starting with, I'm glad that you're here because there's so little representation. People don't know where, where you are or how to even, a lot of people don't even know where to start finding a therapist. And so I'm just glad that you're here to give people like, um, black people in particular, a, figure to look at something someone that can like like, we're it's like okay no these are two black women who do this work and we're not like super weirdos um or like it's not like this like (laughs) clinical kind of thing you can be a normal person you can teach yoga you can have your own practice you can also have normal conversations so anyway that's 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 just a long-winded kind of thing that i just no what you said was so it was so profound because that is so true like i can't say how many clients that have come um, to me, found me, came to me, I, I found you because I was looking specifically for a black therapist and it's oh so hard or mm-hmm. clients that are saying, oh my gosh, I'm moving to Omaha or Nebraska and can I take you with me because there is not going to be a therapist here that I can see or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then even clients that have been in therapy before that say, um, you know, I, I went to therapy before and I didn't stay because I didn't feel like I was being heard. And of course, it was a white therapist or a person of another um, race, you know, not necessarily always white. Um, and they'll say, well, this is the longest that I've ever been in therapy before mm-hmm. with any therapist because I didn't feel like I was being understood or heard. And that's definitely something I take into my practice is I don't, I tell my clients either on the referral call or, you know, that first session, if you're looking for a, a, a traditional therapist, you might want to keep looking because it's not going to be me because mm-hmm. we're not going to, I want you to get the most out of these sessions. Mm-hmm. And so if that means that you have to come in here being who you are, that means wearing your bonnet or, bonnet. you know, doing whatever, do that. You don't have to come in here and show up for anybody for as anyone else but yourself because you don't get to do that in the outside world. So I want to make sure you do that here. So I'm not going to get on the soapbox, but go ahead. Yes, yeah, I absolutely. Love that. that was so good. Um, and bef- and I'm going to ask you one more question that is mm-hmm. a bit of, mm, I'm going to throw a wrench in this smooth little road that we're on. And then we'll go to the next question about addiction, how we even got into contact. But I want to know, with all that being said, where we can say like, yeah, 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 cool, 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 great. Robin's here. But I want to know, um, what is might be a, a misread, a distortion that black clients have when working with therapists of other that are non-black? Can okay. you, are there any things that you that come to your mind of like that where where they where someone um, I'm saying they I'm being very I'm being general okay where they <laughs> might we I don't know how to say it let's not get let's not split hairs and get weird about it. But the people we're talking about, black people, Lord, um, is there is there a possibility in any cases where it's being the situation is being read as I'm not being heard or validated or seen and that might not really be happening? Is there anything that the people can know about? I think so. Um, so it's, it's something that's interesting. It's interesting that you say that because Charlemagne um, said it in one of his books, one of the first and second books that I uh, Heard, and he said he specifically was seeking out a non-black therapist because he didn't want someone that can identify with his woes and to be able to call him out. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big that that's I think that was so important because 
it's not always I want somebody to be able to empathize with me, but I want somebody Mm -hmm. to be able to say, no, this is not normal. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people aren't comfortable with hearing that. You know, oh. and that's where that misread can happen. Wow, you know, this, yes. this is normal. I remember taking the ACE um, with a white colleague of mine, and <laughs> it was hilarious to me because every answer, it's, the ACE is a, um, it, this is just not for you, Taylor. I know you know what it is, but mm-hmm. the ACE is a, an assessment, so with an eight question assessment where you just ask all it, um, what is the adverse childhood experience? Yeah. We ask all these questions about, you know, growing up. Did you, were you, were any of your parents in jail? Did any of them do drugs? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and majority of the answers, I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. Oh yeah, that was me. And after about four or five or number six, I was like, I don't even want to raise my hand anymore because now I just feel weird because my, my white counterpart was not raising her hand. And I'm like, but I had a regular childhood. Like it was nothing wrong, nothing traumatic about my childhood. And mm-hmm. her and another colleague was looking at me so horrified. And I'm like, Okay, I thought it was normal, but what we sometimes feel is normal. We need someone else to tell us that it's not normal, you know. And I think that can be the mystery when it comes to going to a non-black therapist. Is no, they just may be telling you. I had a client tell me that she she told a story about her family, and the therapist said, "You know, that's not normal, right?" She said she got upset and she was ready to like cancel therapy. I don't want to come back. But sometimes we need to hear that. And I'm not saying I don't say that, but sometimes it may hit differently because it's coming from someone that's not, that doesn't look like you. Honestly, we're going to, I'm going to make myself put a pin in that because (laughs) I just, I I mean, I think that that's going to wake a lot of people up. That's going to wake a lot of people up that like mm-hmm. that sometimes that resistance that we feel or that defensiveness is sometimes mm-hmm. not real and that like mm-hmm. the non non sympathizing or non like not agreeing with maybe your um take on things <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. always mean that someone is wrong or invalidating mm-hmm. you or trying to make you feel small or anything it's, right. it can it's literally just it could possibly we have to just we don't have to do anything but we could make room we could make room for the possibility that it's a different perspective that might help rather than hurt. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. Wow, great. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm glad we got to that question. Okay. So we, um, we worked together when we were working with clients that were experiencing addiction. Um, uh-huh. I've been talking about addiction. I did an episode on addiction and attachment. Um, even before that, I was talking a lot about addiction because it's so related to mm-hmm. um, insecure attachment and insecure attachment mm-hmm. is so related to codependency and codependency is so related mm-hmm. to compulsion. And mm-hmm. you work with people who like some, something that you mentioned, like depression and anxiety. And there are things mm-hmm. like in, in all of these issues that are habitual and compulsive mm-hmm. and could even be being seen like bad habits or unhealthy habits mm-hmm. being seen as like addictive or like just mm-hmm. automatic. And so I want to know, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like putting a bunch on the table. The first thing I want to know is um, just what was it like for you working in addiction? And um, hmm, that's all. I just want to know about that. And then how do you see that, like the, the behaviors from those experiencing addiction with substances it's like I'm, I'm having to get so specific with addiction because I'm like, I feel like I'm talking about addiction every day in this kind of work. But mm-hmm. with substance abuse, 
addiction. Mm-hmm. How do you see that and uh, like those kinds of behaviors, habits, or beliefs showing up in people who are non-substance users? Okay. Um, so for, for what, what was it like for me working in addiction? Um, I say that it was rewarding, but it was very, very taxing. Um, it, I, I myself always through my life, I always look at people as individuals. I remember this has nothing to do with addiction, but I remember at 15, I think I was, I lived, I grew up in Hatefield, Georgia, Hatefield, H-A-P-E. I always have to say that when people are from Atlanta, so they, they'll go, Hatefield, like hate, they're like, no, it's Hatefield. So it's a really, back then it was a really, really small, um, city, um, right, right outside Atlanta, south of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very, very small back then. And I remember, so it was so small that when someone moved into the city, everybody knew pretty much. Oh, oh. And uh, there was a transgender um, man that moved into the, uh, moved to, to Hayfield. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm 15, but I befriended every, I, I would befriend anyone, like any kind of person that was quote unquote weird or anything and so this was a female to me because I saw that he dressed as a female so I addressed him as a female and I remember we were in this drugstore which is no longer around and I'm not going to say the name because I don't want to age myself um, but we were in this drugstore and <laughs> we went on the uh, feminine hygiene aisle and he said um, oh I need to buy me some pads and I said oh we'll get you some pads we're going to play along with this if this is what you want to do we're going to play along with it my brother see us leaving the store and he goes, why are you hanging with, with that? And I'm like, with, with what? I was confused. I was like, with what? You don't need to be hanging around that because, you know, people are going to start thinking things. And I was like, I don't care what people think. Like, that has nothing to do with me, what other people think. Because I always see people as individuals. I never look at anyone and judge them for their outward appearance or anything. So the same with accountability, the accountability court program. Is everybody that would walk into my office, they were individual. They weren't an addict. They weren't someone that was, you know, had multiple DUIs. They weren't someone that they were just an individual. And I, um, that's how I saw them. And I think for that rewarding part of it came from them allowing me to see them as an individual, treat them as an individual, um, walk beside them as they went through this very very rigorous program that sometimes I jokingly say it's a horrible joke but I jokingly say I'll probably just take the jail time but yeah. you've never been in jail and I was like well this is true but goodness this program is serious it was hard for me to go through it with them so mm-hmm. I know them going through it was a lot but uh, mm-hmm. it was a very rigorous program and a lot of them went through sober or at least they didn't get caught and so yeah. It was rewarding in that sense, but then on the other side of that, where it was taxing, again, we're, we are dealing with addicts at the same time. So there's a lot of manipulation when it came there um, to that, and there was a lot of me being manipulated a lot. Like I said, you know, they didn't get caught a lot of times, and when they did get caught, it was me trying to find the truth, and then me mm-hmm. kind of taking it personal a little bit, because I'm like, oh, you a lot of me. Like, okay, I thought we were. You know, you have a lot of me, but it was that manipulation. So I forget that part of it because I'm just seeing them as a person, but I forget that they are manipulators. 
and then on the other side, kind of being caught between them and then the court system and trying to, a lot of times, convince the court system to see them as people and not just seeing their behavior. Yeah, they're going to be manipulative because they're addicts. They're going to relapse because they're addicts, you know? So what do we expect? We can't treat them as a criminal just because they're an addict. But, but those two just never matched up for me. So it was it was a lot that would come up for me working there. Uh, it was tough at times, but it was very rewarding. Mm, I feel like I'm getting triggered. I'm back in the... I haven't been thinking about that job. <laughs> I've not been thinking about that job, Robin. I haven't been thinking about that job. Look, you set that boundary with me, I think like a year or so ago. You set that boundary with me. You were like, yeah. I don't even talk about that anymore. Note to self, do not talk to Taylor about that place anymore. Oh. And that helped me too. So I don't blame you. I don't even, I don't remember saying that, but I totally believe that I did it. I totally believe it. Because the, the last, re, the rehab I was at before, like when I was, I did an internship and then I did work there a little bit. You got hours mm-hmm. towards licensure. Um, I had to tell somebody else that too. I said, don't talk to me about this ever again. It was so, I think it is so, um, triggering when I actually did the yeah. episode on it I was it was the most exhausting episode that usually I'm super yeah. energized doing this I was so exhausted mm-hmm. talking about it um mm-hmm. it is really draining it's really dark it can be really, really dark it really it in that uh in the uh, there were a lot of things that you said but I'll just kind of highlight this one about the mm-hmm. difficulty in and 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 kind of experiencing different realities at once like the reality that okay um addiction is this compulsive um disorder it is um now like identified by most as a disease rather than a choice um so it it has this thing but then you're also like it's a personal process of working with addicts so you have uh-huh. that part, and then you have the legal system, which can be very rigid, and you're trying to bring humanity yeah. into it. But then you're like, "Well, yeah. am I am I advocating uh, correctly?" And what what side? It was yeah. weird, like feeling like split because, and then there's, there's so many things to consider. It's even hard to kind of explain and process through mm-hmm. because there just aren't clear lines, um, which yeah. makes it difficult. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I I um, I, uh, I never mind um, doing a little self disclosure, and so I always share that um, I, on my paternal side of my family, it's um, a family um, of addicts, including my dad and my brother. They all they both passed away sober, but they still fought that addiction. And then I have an aunt that is remaining, and she means she has thirty years of sobriety uh, now. But it still it always stays in my mind that you know used to be my family members and things like that. And then also when we talk about that, you know, genetic disposition, I could be this person because you say that sometimes addiction can run in the family, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was so interesting working there because we had the specific court date. Thursdays was our court date. Mm -hmm. And Thursdays after, um, when I would leave court, I had, I made a beeline to Blue Moon Pizza where I would get my blue moon margarita and then I would eat my cheese fries and then That's I would so go ironic. home. That, that was my after court ritual. You know, when it became a little bit more, I would say, okay, I'm going to skip blue moon and I would just come home and have a glass of wine. Taylor, when I tell you, I noticed after about oh, maybe 
three years of being there, I noticed that I would come home. After one, one day, I noticed I came home and I finished a bottle of wine. And when I tell you I'm very particular with my wine, I don't drink anything under 13.5%. So for me to finish a bottle of wine that was over a certain percentage, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. After mm-hmm. that, I'm, I'm very careful when it comes to being with too much of anything because of the um, addiction that runs in my family. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always mindful of what I take in. That's anything. I mean, television, food, all these things. Mm-hmm. I say too much of anything is not good for you. So when I saw myself drink that bottle of wine, I said, oh, something has to change. And I, I made some yeah, changes. Because I was about to be looking, looking, looking at you on the other side of the table on Thursday. Oh, yeah. I won't be looking at you. Doing a, I won't be doing a report well, on Robin. Well, listen, I have to report on Robin sure, today. One thing I learned for sure was, look, I'm always going to be at home if I do, <laughs> do that. That's the one thing I learned from that program. Is, look, you better sit down. Oh, yeah. You ain't getting a DUI after you work, yeah. after you work in that no. kind of stuff. You are Absolutely not, you not. are not drinking and dry. You are not doing, no. you are Ubering, you are lifting, no. you are telling, you are yes. taking people's keys. You're yes. not going to yes. get caught up in, in doing a D and B because you're like, oh, oh my goodness. My God. And the fact like you, oh, yes. you mentioned that, you know, they have to be sober through the whole thing or at least they don't get caught. And I'm like, Ooh, I be doing this stuff. Um, <laughs> So um, there are a lot of tough things about it. I really look forward to seeing you on Thursdays when we did have our Thursday meetings because I know I didn't want to be there. Um, so let's, so so this is going to lead into the next question. As you were sharing, and I think it's it's interesting that um, as people kind of like uh, when they heard me talking about addiction and that even though they might not have had someone in there close to them that mm-hmm. um, identified as an addict, they were like, Oh, I was kind of listening to it and hearing, um, hearing me in it anyway. Like I was, or I was listening to it and I was kind of hearing my, re- like I was talking about addiction and like the kind of things that come with it. Um, the, the kind of just the decisions that kind of come with it, the ways that we make excuses that comes with addiction, all kinds of things. And people were like, well, I, I'm not an addict and my person's not an addict and my family is an addict is aren't made of addicts but why is it that i'm identifying with addict behavior right how is it that i'm still hearing myself in this and some things that you said uh reminded me of uh you know the big word enabling i kind of go back to the advocate advocate example like if i advocate for this person am i uh excusing something that should not be excused and that was like always kind of the struggle the split um, mm-hmm. and we noticed that in co- codependent relationships, even when there's no one using a substance or overly okay. using a substance where someone, where I, he- I hear all the time, and I know all therapists have heard some version of some, some version of, uh, to the effect of they just need love or they've gone through so much. Like, I just want to mm-hmm. help or, um, I know that like if once we get over this hump, like then they'll be able to finally give me what I need. Or at least there's some sort mm-hmm. of like, even if they're not saying it, there's the hope that if yeah. they, if they just stick around and stick with it and keep like, keep investing, keep doing something um, that the other person will rise up. And we all know that that is not typically the outcome. Not only is it not typically the outcome, mm-hmm. it's very unlikely. So um, I want to know, how do you see those kinds of addictive or compulsive codependent behaviors showing up in your practice? So the interesting part with that is um, I always say the same thing when it comes to non-substance users. They're just like substance users. Because in addiction, we, we ask, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like, 
a lot of people try used to try to treat the addiction, but no, sometimes it's a lot of underlying issues, right? It's, it's grief, it's it's um, abandonment, it's it's depression, it's all these things that they're covering up with this addiction. It's just that their addiction usually gets becomes out of control, changes that brain functioning, all that nerdy stuff, right? And so, um, I I like to say that everyone has some sort of addiction, mm-hmm. some some sort of um, behavior that may lead to uh, lead to kind of addictive, compulsive, codependent behavior. You know, we may be addicted to finding love. You see, <laughs> I didn't mean to laugh. You see, like these reality shows, you may see some of the participants that say, "Yeah, I was on last season," or "I was on," you know, uh-huh. this show or whatever. Some people are like adamantly looking for love because they may have. They may be dealing with abandonment, or they may be a um, what do we call it a, uh, a serial uh, relationship person. Like they going into relationship after relationship. Like we look at addiction when we say that word addiction, we always think about substance use, but we all are addicted to something in some kind of way. Some people are addicted to social media. You know, um, people are addicted to lots of different things. I don't know if I answered your question. I think I feel like I. I went off on a. No, I think that tangent. gives. Like, I think that gives us a good umbrella, right? That like <laughs> mm-hmm. that that it's not so uncommon for someone to mm-hmm. latch to something and to kind of like so automatically yeah. engage in it that it it's like a mind. It's not. It doesn't even feel like a choice anymore. You just find yourself doing yeah. it. Yeah. And in terms Absolutely. of love, um, you gave like the reality show example of stuff, which I think is mm-hmm. actually a really kind of funny way to think about it. There's someone on a. I used to watch. I, I don't. I cannot watch the reality shows anymore. I can't do it because I'm just be stressed. Like love after lockup, Lord. I couldn't oh do God, it. Yes. Couldn't. Yes. I think we talked. I think we talked about that before. I think you because you used to watch. It. I think yes. I knew you watched it. And uh-huh. you know it's crazy. And you it's so toxic. We can't even. We actually need it to. Is. This is a. This is a whole other. Uh, I need to do. I, I guess need to just create a whole other podcast of of reality <laughs> shows that have just made me sick so awesome. at this point because yes. of the toxicity mm-hmm. and yes. love after lockup is like is 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 just like the epitome oh of like uh, people who have like abandonment issues, rejection issues. I mean, literally, it is it is insecure attachment. I hate to say on crack, like, is that, I don't know if that's inappropriate because of the nature of this uh, episode today, but it is maybe mm-hmm. steroid. Again, that's an example, right? Like, wow, how do no, we use yeah. kind of addictive language often now that I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it? But, okay, so in terms of love, like, we can see how the, uh, we can see it in reality TV shows in like, these extreme ways, like in a Love After Lockup or a 90 Day Fiance um, or a Bachelor thing. Whatever's got, I mean, mm-hmm. oh god, wow, there's a lot to unpack here. But <laughs> in in day to day stuff, how how might someone recognize that they are behaving in relationship, whether it's platonic or romantic? How might someone identify compulsion, like addictive, like obsessive, like behaviors in their relationships? Oh, just a little break here. Just a little break here. It is offering time here at B and G ministries b and g ministries while you're pulling your app up we added the paypal link okay the paypal link is in the show notes below if you are if you're getting something out of this if you're getting something out of boundaries and grace okay um i know this is free for you um but the offerings help me to continue to take the time to produce this 
to produce these episodes and create more and more content. I'm going to be creating so much more content, okay? And um, there aren't actually more hours in the day. And so making more content, the offerings help me to take more time out of the schedule to be able to do more of this. We're going to be doing more lives. We're going to be doing content for a platform that I'm going to be on coming out to like it's gonna be like peloton for mental health it is not peloton okay it is not peloton it's like peloton for mental health i'm excited about that okay we're getting ready for youtube so all of these things yeah it's great these, like like the like youtube and podcast and instagram is all free but the offerings help me to continue to be able to take time out of we only have 24 hours in the day so it's really really nice to be able to have some support in that um and then also just with your valuing and appreciating the work um, it's really nice to uh, be able to get some of that back if you're getting something from it and you're giving back. Um, it's a way to value and appreciate it. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's already given. So on Cash App and, pay- and PayPal, Cash App link or Cash App handle is dollar sign Tay Chand. We're talking about addiction. Addiction comes up in this episode. For y'all that um, don't know about Al-Anon, it is um, for people who are in relationship, whatever kind of relationship with those in addiction. Okay. And so Al-Anon, A-L-A-N-O-N. Don't make it too complicated. Just go ahead and Google if you need some support. And um, there's a lot of free groups out there that support those who are in relationship with um, people in, in addiction. Okay. So Al-Anon is a resource for you. Pass it along. All right, let's get back. In, in day-to-day stuff, how, how might someone recognize that they are behaving in relationship, whether it's platonic or romantic? How might someone identify compulsion, like addictive, like obsessive-like behaviors in their relationships? So now we're going into... Um looking at how you show up in that relationship. For me, um, I would point out like the people pleasing, you know, that's definitely, um, and I'm always careful of my words. When I say definitely, that can be um, an addictive behavior because you especially like that, that wanting to be needed. So if you're a people pleaser and you're with somebody that, probably needed you in the beginning you were they were dependent on you right and then they got their footing together and they didn't necessarily need you as much and you're feeling abandoned and you're feeling like oh wow you know we don't spend time together we it'll come out as other things everything other than wow you don't need me anymore or, I, I don't I can't do for you anymore so it shows up in so many different um ways the people pleaser is the biggest one that stood out to me that is probably the biggest one that would stand out to me too yeah that kind of like another like a word that is associated with that it's like a a fawning behavior where you know Mm -hmm. something is wrong or Mm -hmm. um you might not even have language for it but there's a sense that something is wrong Mm -hmm. but the response is to try to get on that person's good side and present very Mm -hmm. politely and kindly and warmly Um, to try yes. to appease them, please them, yes. um, to try to get mm-hmm. a better result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Absolutely. that's super common. I think I also see that. Um, I think that would be the most like compulsive type of mm-hmm. behavior that I see in that yeah. way too. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked you, or rather, yeah, it was like the random question I asked at the beginning where I said I was going to throw a wrench in the smooth road, and I said, what's the way mm-hmm. that um, people might be distorting things when it comes to like their 
provider, the, the, the service provider, the therapist, the counselor, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I sort of we might have answered this question. Maybe there's something else. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask it anyway. What is something that gets in the way mm-hmm. uh, that that people might not be aware of and that or that if how to say this, what's something that gets in the way? How do I write it? That that people mm-hmm. might not be aware of, and if they mm-hmm. were aware of it, they would make significant process. I guess what I'm asking is, is there mm-hmm. a sort of, and I'm not implying that this is like the only thing, <laughs> whatever the answer mm-hmm. might be, that this would be the only mm-hmm. thing to apply to someone's life and everything gets better, but is there a sort of mm-hmm. like key that would uh, really help to turn this lock, <laughs> that would really start to move this needle along, but most people aren't aware of it. Like, I like to highlight blind spots. So what do you think? Yeah. No, you so answered that um, at the beginning. You you were talking about resources and knowledge and all of those things. So I think the the big part is, first, um, the, the one thing that can get in their way is themselves. They may not know they have a problem. Um, they may not if you're around people that and everyone's doing it, then I'm good. You know, I don't have any issues. And then when we talk about, you know, those codependent, those in next relationships, um, the people around them, they, they are, they are, um, they're really the problem sometimes because they are, they are, I'm losing my words, but they are um, pushing or, I don't want to say pushing. God, what word am I looking for, Taylor? They are encouraging this behavior. Mm-hmm. They're making I, it okay. And so, co-creating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think just not knowing where to begin, too. Like, not having those resources. Not having that knowledge. Um, a lot of my clients, they come in and I'm telling them things that I think is elementary. Like, I think that things that I may have known prior to becoming a therapist. And they're like, wow. Oh wow! I didn't think about it that way because no one around them told them, and they didn't have the resources or the knowledge, you know, to or they weren't exposed to these, these things. And so, those kind of moments are the moments where I'm like, you know what? This is why I do what I do because there's so many people out here that don't. That oh, now I have a job with insurance. I can I can um, I can um, see a therapist now. Even though my mom told me not to tell all my business, but you know, I really feel like there's something not right and they reach out and then they find out that, oh, yeah, something wasn't right. You know, and so I think that's a, that's a big part of it. It's not having those resources and that knowledge and the people around you. Yeah. Cause w- without that, there's, there, there could be no awareness. If you can't, mm-hmm. if you're not aware that there's a problem, then exactly. it's impossible to fix it. Yes, like how right. could you, you can't apply a solution to something that you don't know. And then I guess with that, just go back to the, I got, I talked so much, so much about defensiveness and resistance because it's so unfortunate mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. much that gets in the way of someone becoming aware um, because yeah. so many people can just hold so tightly to, it's like you want mm-hmm. this huge change, but you also mm-hmm. don't want anything to change. And so you're literally yeah. stuck right there. Like I, I, I oh, want totally. my life to be different but I'm so scared of letting anything go and you can't Mm -hmm. not, you've at some point, if you want to move something, you've got to be able Mm -hmm. to see that there's somewhere else to go than where you've always been. But Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, it's just really scary for for so many people. Absolutely. Listen, the the one thing I I don't try to be is perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, 
going back to that, someone telling you when something isn't right. My husband told me last year, I think, nope, it was the year before last. He said, you know, you're controlling. And it wasn't in a, like a negative, like, you're controlling kind of way. It's like, you're, you're just controlling. And I thought about it. Hmm. I thought about it. I was like, am I controlling? Like, I don't try to. But I am. And I didn't take offense to it. And you know, I have grown and I have let go of so much just by that one little comment because I didn't take offense to it because mm-hmm. I wasn't like, I'm not controlling. I'm not, you know. Yeah. I have. <laughs> It has been freeing for me. I thanked him. I said, thank you. He's like, for what? I was like, thank you for saying that I was controlling. Because it let me let go of a lot of different things. You know, like, yes. you know, um, running the household. Oh, I felt like this has to be this way. This has to be that way. And everybody benefited from it, but I didn't realize that it was a controlling behavior. And letting that go, oh, my goodness. Like, oh, now when people ask me questions, I'm like, oh, I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> It is. Oh, I love that. that. So true. It's yeah, amazing how mm-hmm. much we try to hang on to something and making you miserable, mm-hmm. stressed, and didn't have control Whoa. of it anyway. I was thinking about this just Whoa. just today. I I was like, um, and I'm not. This this wasn't like an epiphany, but you know, you can kind of like realize things again and again and again in different ways, and you just see things mm-hmm. differently. And uh, I was thinking about just the way that we say "let go," and I was thinking this mm-hmm. morning. That implies that you had it at all. You never had it. Yes. You never mm-hmm. had it. It, it was yes. an illusion. So I'm like, we should be even mm-hmm. more. I like how both of us are careful about language, but that mm-hmm. we could be even more accurate to say, let go of the illusion of control because yes. you never. So you, what, 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 you're not losing anything. You're just coming into yes. reality. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Join I us on that. this side. Come yes. on over exactly. here, Lord. We're over here doing, exactly. doing yoga, meditating. Hello. Yes. Yes. Healthy. Absolutely. <laughs> Carefree. <laughs> just happy. And it's so yes. simple. And the things are so simple. I remember I was um in I was sitting in the passenger seat and oh my gosh, we need to I, I want I want to I want to first just shout out men for delivering truths mm-hmm. and um in real simple blunt ways <laughs> that's it just and we can we, we could be so defensive but wow I think that um I'm just really gonna give it to men because I think that they do it more mm-hmm. often than oh women do of just being like oh this is what God. it is and oh um so we thank you men for doing for mm-hmm. doing these things yes, and don't you. stop <laughs> don't stop no, people please need don't. to hear it please do not. and I was sitting yes. in the passenger seat and oh lord this man said to me I was shutting down I was I was a young, I was a young doe here, okay? (laughs) And I was being such a brat, and I just shut down because we, there was some, you know, some stupid, like there was some disagreement, and I just was angry, just mad, (laughs) like I felt nothing. And, And all he said, all he said was, you know you can't do that. Like, you cannot... He said, you know, you can't just shut, you can't just shut down just because I said something you don't like. Robin, when I tell you my life, I believe that might have been, Lord, that might have been the change. That might have, that was a seed. That was a seed. I never forgot it. Oh my gosh. It really, I came back to that moment so many times because it's so simple and so true. I said, he's right. My God, we're sending gratitude to him right now. Lord knows. Man. He said, you know, you can't do that, right? That was, and I was, what? Huh? 
And in, in that They're moment awesome. where you're able to witness yourself and you're like, this does look crazy. Yes. This, this is this looks this looks ridiculous. And that's all it takes is that one moment of stepping outside of yourself and looking at yourself and saying, you know what? You're right. Yeah. You know, or they're right. You know? Yeah. Don't take it so personal. Just hear what they're saying. Now everything isn't for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've right. been told other things and I'm like, I'm gonna give that back to you. Like literally, mm-hmm. I'll take my hands and put it on the platter and like here, here I'm gonna give that back to you because that's not my stuff. <laughs> right. But if it's something that I can really, I'll sit and try to process it. And if it's something, then yeah, you know, work on that. Absolutely. So good. It takes so yeah. it takes yeah. it, it takes a level of just uh, some more awareness to be able to uh-huh. like discern what things to hang on uh-huh. to and what things to not. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna take this and lead us into our and lead us into this question and then I'm going to ask you one mm-hmm. more question and we'll go okay. the what I with what with what you just shared in order for someone to be at the point like where you're at where you're able to um hear feedback and you're you're able mm-hmm. to discern things you're able to mm-hmm. you have knowledge of yourself so you can confirm and deny things that come your mm-hmm. way um mm-hmm. in order to be there you have to be pretty non-anxious okay you gotta be pretty like you gotta be in a pretty like calm state like our nervous system cannot be so reactive because we would right. be defensive if that was the case mm-hmm. so um how can how can people uh on their own notice resistance in their body or anxiety in their body and how what mm-hmm. what is what is something maybe one or two things that someone can do now um, on their own that would help them to get some sort of sense of control over that feeling so that they can stay more present and hear what's being shared mm-hmm. with them or experience the actual moment rather than something else. Uh, I think it starts with knowing what you're feeling. I think that's a big part of what we all do is that, we don't even know how to identify our emotion. So being able to identify our emotion and say, okay, that's what that was. If you can't identify what it is. So when my husband told me, okay, you're, you're controlling. And, um, I, I, in that moment I wasn't offended, but if anything would have come up, I would have had to check to see what it was that was coming up for me and why I was feeling that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a, the biggest part of it is, identifying your emotion. Um, I, when I first start working with clients, I always go through that the first few sessions of them identifying an emotion yeah. because then we're able to address other things. Well, you know, why don't you react like that? I mean, it, it is what it is. No, <laughs> we're not going to say that because it is not what it is. Right, let's identify that. Yes. So, so we all have that physical medicine cabinet, right? We always we all have that medicine cabinet that's usually in our bathroom or wherever we keep our medicine. But we don't realize we can have that mental medicine cabinet as well. And I, mm-hmm. I teach my clients that I ask them, well, what did you pull out of your mental medicine cabinet when this happened? You know, did you just sit there and, and sit there in that depressive state or in that mm-hmm. anxious state? Or did you go reach in that medicine cabinet and, and take something out? Mm-hmm. Um we're all humans, right? So in my medicine cabinet, I like to go hike. I love to go hiking. Not because I'm like, oh, let me get on this trail. It's because nature is a great regulator. Mm-hmm. The, the, what we get from nature and what we give to nature, oh my gosh, is, is 
I'm not going to nerd, but it is, it's just, it's endless. Um, Of course, yoga, yoga is a great way to teach your body how to react under stress. So a lot of people think, first, a lot of people think yoga is easy. Yoga is not easy at all. The other, it is so challenging. Oh my goodness. The other part is that it teaches, one of the biggest things that yoga teaches us is then we're going to be in this downward dog and we still got to breathe. Yeah. Like, goodness. Yes. 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 <laughs> that is one of the biggest things is like when we are anxious, when we're depressed, we're not breathing like we're regularly, regularly should. And so we're not sending oxygen to our brain. And so we can't think rationally and all these other nerdy things that I'm not going to go down that way. I, 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 I love it. I love it. I feel like I'm in class right now. I love oh it. So. Yes. With lots mm-hmm. of physical fitness, um, yes. meditation is a huge one to recenter yourself. Um, that's another way to regulate your um, nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, socializing. People don't realize we, uh, one thing that I hear people say a lot is, uh, people get on my nerves or I don't want to be around people or no, we are humans. We need each other. Like we need each other. So find a circle that's going to pour into you and not just take away from you. Like I'm always careful when I say that, like go hang with people. But if it's people that's taken from you, no, we need to be pouring into each other. So it needs to be an even battlefield. Um, treating yourself to something bad, but also feeding your, your body with good stuff as well. Um, one of the biggest things that I, love to lead in my practice um i do a lot of um a lot of physical therapy like walk and talk therapy yoga therapy things like that Mm. is uh let's actually be got medicine so we can get out here we can do all the exercise and everything but if we're gonna feed our system that junk that's what's gonna come out of our system (laughs) and so making sure we are trying to eat a little better uh, on most days and, you know, of course, enjoy that bad stuff as well. Stop when that hot sign is on at Krispy Kreme. It's okay. Uh-oh. But don't do it every day. <laughs> okay, yoga balance. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're still, you do you do um, yoga therapy? You do walk and talk therapy? You do it on yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I didn't know. Yes, I love it. I didn't yes, know. Yes, I love it. I was, I, okay, great. This is good. Okay, good for the people to know. Um, something you, when I, when I did yoga, um, the first time I did it, um, when I was in college, I did hot yoga for the mm-hmm. first time when I was in college and I d- did not have the patience in my emotional <laughs> infrastructure. I didn't have that in my medicine cabinet, Lord, the, the, uh-huh. <laughs> the prescription <laughs> had not been called in yet. Okay. I did not, I couldn't do it. And then later when I did it, I mean, I did it like random times and things. And, but when I okay. made, it, made it intentional, it was like when I was really understanding more about like just becoming more aware, you know, understanding like my anxiety and all of the options that I have to be able mm-hmm. to manage it, um, connecting the practice, practicing it and connecting it to life principles was mm-hmm. like, I mean, and it just sort of, oh I think, I think it, especially when you have, a, when you have a great teacher and it's just so mm-hmm. like, naturally embedded in the physical part of yoga but then like you know when 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 y'all are like talking to us like in our like stretches and stuff like, and you're like making you're like reading like a poem or something about like the leaves and like the branches and like you're like I'm like oh my gosh like wow like this pose like feels a lot like my life and I was really making the connections <laughs> and, Absolutely. and I think I, and it, it's just it's so like congruent in that way so I it, it, so I love that I love that 
Okay, so I love it. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah. The, the leaves, when they fall, they are fertilizing yeah. the soil. And so we never really lose anything. Everything is always here. You are just oh like the soil. God. When you go, you come back. Everything is in the circle of life. And then we leave like, oh my gosh, transcendent. This has been really, really good. And I want to ask you this last thing that if you could, if you knew that you could guarantee that everybody that listened walked away with one thing, what would it be? Oh my God. Love on yourself. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, A lot of times, especially in this Western world that we live in and this culture that we live in, we're so busy. Um, trying to keep up in this rat race. And I think that's what what happens is we're in this deficit because either we're running away from something, trying not to deal with those emotions back there, or we're trying to run to something that is always out of our reach. And we forget to stop and love on ourselves. And the more that we love on ourselves, the more that, uh, first, the more love we can spread, but then also um, the more people can love on us. You know, we don't realize that if we don't know how to love ourselves, then how are we going to teach other people to love us? You know, if we if we love on ourselves a little bit more, we may be able to combat that depression, combat that anxiety in a little, uh, in a different way. You know, I'm not saying it's going to go away, but we may be able to decrease some of those symptoms. We may be able to regulate some of those emotions. So I'm huge on loving on, on myself. Um, and then in turn, I can love on others around me. And so I think that's the biggest thing. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Robin. When can you tell I'm going to be, I mean, you know, I just be sending people. I got to send people. Not everybody listening to this podcast needs to be working with me now. Okay. Now some people be calling. Now y'all be calling this phone and you're like, Taylor, I love your personality, but you got a whole different problem. Okay. And so that's great because a lot of people, I'm glad that they're getting the introduction so that they're not, I'm, I, can, I can now like, cause I've already sent your stuff out, but now they're going to be able to mm-hmm. hear you. And it just sounds really, really good. So aside from, yeah. um, well, how, how can, how can people find you? Oh, they can go online to mind and body therapy, dot um, or on Instagram at mind and body DA. Perfect. So y'all reach out to Robin if this sounds like this is something you want to know more about. And um, great. I love this conversation. This just felt like I feel we started this. Y'all, before we started this recording, let's tell them the truth, Robin. Let's tell them the truth. <laughs> I was let's... thinking about that. I was so thinking about that. We both were like, uh-uh, we, we going we to be here. But hey, look, we going to just do it 30 minutes. That's it, you know. We out. We out. We tired. That's, that's so, what happened. Shut up. But, but no. <laughs> I think the energy exchange and I think just talking about something that we're so passionate about mm-hmm. just brought that, that vibration up a bit. So absolutely. If you want me to give you a little tree and root scenario like I would in yoga, I can do that too, but I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> Man, This has been such a nice flow. Like what a great end to this day. Absolutely. Um, yes. It's just, it's just always really nice to like, I love that people can hear what healthy just sounds like. You just sound healthy, Robin. You just sound clear. You just sound like you've been out doing, walk, doing in the light, in the sunlight. I know, I know your skin looks good. Okay. <laughs> like, it's so funny though. It's so funny. My niece called me earlier today and she said, you sound happy. And I was like, 
Yeah. I am. Thank you for yes. noticing. So you're the second person to say that to me today. Today, I did love on myself, and it wasn't intentional mm. because I had nothing on my schedule, mm-hmm. but it was intentional because I put things on my schedule. So absolutely, I'm happy, and I'm I'm so serious when it comes to loving yourself. I'm one of those people that practice what they preach. I um, run across plenty of people that are in different fields that uh, are are um, doing a service, but they are not using their own knowledge on themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I use my knowledge on myself first because I want to yes. be my guinea pig and then I can go tell y'all, okay, I'm telling you this works. So thank you so, for saying that. So <laughs> it's real. always a pleasure. You're yes. always a breath of fresh air. So thank you. Thank it makes you. it a little easier. <laughs> Beautiful conversation, Robin. Thanks so much. <laughs> and um, we'll stop there. That's the show. That's the show. I hope that you enjoyed it. I'm so sure that you did. I hope that you were able to laugh along with us today. (laughs) Okay, thank you for being here. Um, This is the second passing of the offering bucket. Okay, we've got Cash App. We've got PayPal. If you're getting something out of this work, if you want to show your appreciation and and that you're valuing the work, um, please, it's dollar sign Tay Chan. T-A-Y-C-H-A-N-D. The PayPal link is also below. It's on my Instagram at I am Taylor Chandler. Hello. There's so many ways, so many ways to interact with the content and it's just getting bigger and better. So thank y'all for being here and I'll see you next week. Thank you, Robin. Bye.